This episode of Shock Therapy is brought to you by the Charger Bolt family. Ken and Mary run the Charger Bolt family Facebook group, and I have to say, it's got to be my favorite Charger community out there. Outside of all the memorabilia that they raffle, or their bingo, or even their Monday night giveaways, from their scavenger hunts to their signings, my favorite part about the group is definitely its community. On June 19th, the Charger Bolt family is having its first annual barbecue in Mission Bay Park in San Diego. On June 20th, they're doing their homeless handouts in downtown San Diego. If you want more information on attending these events or, or you just want to help show your support in some fashion, contact Ken and Mary through the Facebook group. Show your support. And now to the show. And here we are, Tyler Lawrence and Zach Alfers here from the Shock Therapy Podcast, brought to you by the Say It Again Network. It's OTAs, man. How are we doing? Oh, man, I couldn't be more excited. You said it. It's OTA season. On top of that, my San Diego Padres are red hot. As a sports fan, it's, it's one of the best times of the year. I am so pumped and, and can't wait to get into this show right now. I'm excited. So that we had a lot of people actually show up to OTAs. Yeah. Notables include Derwin James, Drew Tranquil, Keenan Allen was out there, Nasir Adderley, Trey Pipkins, Mike Williams. We had a lot of our, all of our receivers were there. Uh, Ty Long's trying to get better. Jalen Guyton, Kaiser White, all rookies, all quarterbacks. We had a good show out. Yeah, and if you're a football fan and you weren't already pumped for the 2021 season, you have absolutely no excuse now. The first couple of days of OTAs in the books, you got to see some of the new faces mingle with some of the old vets. And yeah, it, it's the excitement is in the air. You could feel it coming, radiating from tra- uh, Charger training camp right now. I am excited for, for the massive turnout that we had. We did have some people that were not present, uh, specifically Austin Eckler, Odeo Bushi, Brian Bulaga, Matt Feeler, uh, Joey Bosa, which is a norm for him. Uh, Linval jo- Joseph, Corey Lindsley wasn't there on the first day of practice, but it, uh, from what I was hearing was more of like personal issues at home. I think he's actually going to show up a little bit later. And then uh, Chris Harris Jr., Justin Jones, and Jerry Tillery. Mostly looked like it was offensive and defensive linemen. Uh, some of the older vets, maybe they're not fully healthy yet, or maybe they're just trying to, um, you know, find their own way to train away from the team for, you know, personal reasons. COVID-19 is still a very mm-hmm. real issue. So other well, than and, that, though. Well, and all of those guys you mentioned, they are proven pros in this league. They know what they're doing. These are. I wouldn't these, say Jerry Tillery is a proven pro. So, so, that was, a guy. so that was the one name on there that I was kind of surprised to see. Um, yeah. I thought. Especially because through the last coaching staff, he's kind of in between. We draft him as a DN. He's an interior pass rusher. So I kind of thought he would want to solidify himself, you know, carve out a role for this defense moving forward. I was a little bit surprised to see him. But again, I I think we're maybe reading into it a little bit too much. It is organized team activities they're voluntary he might be doing his own thing off the books who knows um but i was a little surprised to not see to see him yeah not there for the first day especially for a player who didn't get a full training camp his rookie year Mm -hmm. last year he didn't because of COVID 19 if if there was a player that i thought that needed to be there not and it's not even that otas is all that important i mean there's no contact you're you're basically just learning the playbook going through walkthroughs things like that but still, that's one guy I think that uh, hasn't been in the league long enough and isn't, uh, you know, long enough in the tooth to be able to skip out on something like that. Well, and the other guys on that list you mentioned, right, it's not going to really do much to help them. No, Linval uh, Joseph, Chris Harris Jr., you got some no. like, you know, 30-year-old, you know, vets that they know are what they're doing. There. Exactly. Yeah, I-, I thought Tillery is the type of player I thought would benefit from organized team activities. And, you know, maybe he's he's just not there for the time being. You don't know what's going on, but you don't know. he needs and to it, get into camp. <laughs> we, Yeah, I want to be rooting for the guy. Um, I'm not rooting against him, but I, I want to I'm with you. 
put on the helmet, strap up. Let's see what you can do this year. So I got most of my takeaways from Daniel Popper. Uh, one of the names that I was really excited to see was Derwin James. Yes. First time we've seen him in an interview, and it seems like way too long. Yeah. Yeah, it was a long time since I've last seen Derwin James in an interview. And, you know, he looks good. He looks healthy, according to Daniel Popper. He's cleared for all football activities uh, mm -hmm. from his torn meniscus last year. Uh, he's moving around. I'm really excited to see how they're going to utilize him. Yeah, I, I think every Bolt fan was super stoked to see DJ out there. And I, I getting a healthy Derwin James back is good for the game of football. When he's healthy, when he's at full speed, that guy can make plays. And just going, just when he went down with that meniscus tear, that was so demoralizing and devastating to that defense. He did. And it so was many like a week before camp ended. It was it was brutal. like the worst time. Everyone's getting excited because he seemed to have been having a really really good camp last year. Yeah. Right. Everybody was talking about him just flying all over the play, all over the field, making plays. Um, yeah. And just getting him in OTA, OTAs, dude, it's it's exciting. It, it is. And, and just to have a guy like that at practice in the locker room with all of that talent and all the energy he possesses, he makes everyone around him better. And, and that is really scary to say because there are some dogs on this defense this year. Speaking of dogs, Drew Tranquil was out there. He was wearing the Oakleys. I don't know where Duran James Oakleys were at. I went and actually added him at, at, and was saying, what, did Drew Tranquil steal your, uh, your Oakleys instead of Anthony Lynn this time. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, yeah, that's another nice face we like to see. I, I was, I've been excited to see Murray lining up to Tranquil for, I think, the full year. That was one of the big things going into last season that I was stoked about. Um, and I mean, those are two really high energy guys. They could both make a lot of game changing plays. And I think they're going to be feeding off of each other all season long and really going to set that tempo for us in the middle of the defense. They really complement each other really, really well. They really do. Highly, highly athletic linebackers. And that duo was something that we should not have missed out on last season. It was a bummer we missed it, but that infectious personality at middle inside linebacker, something like we as a defense have been missing. I think the last guy I could think of was like Donnie Edwards. And then before him, it was Seau. And You know, I'm, it makes me think of Donnie Edwards and Randall Godfrey as yeah. that duo there in the middle. And that is something that we haven't had in quite some time. That no. that two duos right there in the middle of a of a you know a modified three four defense is what we're going to have but ultimately right. it's that same duo yeah high energy high level very talented guys in the middle of the defense are going to be making plays all season long can't wait to see what that duo looks like you know that might be the most most athletic duo in the entire nfl man well yeah i kenneth murray we were, th we were thinking he was going to be an outside linebacker I mean, the dude is just built different, so super athletic. He could do it all. I, I can't, I'm really excited to get Tranquil back. He was a stud, and it was a bummer to see him um, miss out on that sophomore season last year. You know, I'm going to make a little bit of a prediction about Kenneth Murray and Drew Tranquil's role. I think Drew Tranquil is going to be the linebacker dropping more in coverage, and I think Kenneth Murray is going to be playing the spy, which is what he really excelled at at Oklahoma mm -hmm. and really putting him back into the right fit for his skill set. That's it's my gonna, prediction. I love it. I think I think you're spot on. Staley's going to maximize his playmakers. Those are two playmakers, and I think you pointed at it. That's what they do best, and he's going to be – that's what he does. That's what Staley does. Yeah, puts players in the right position to make the right plays at the right time. The second takeaway from Daniel Popper uh, – that I, I got from him was the collaborative culture taking shape. So mm -hmm. there's no competitive one-on-ones or team drills. Uh, individual drills is what's going to be at full speed. This is to keep players healthy. And this was more importantly, a decision made by the player leadership. So the, the, you know, Keenan Allen, some of those, you know, older vets are the ones mm -hmm. that went and made the decision to say, Hey, we don't want to hurt ourselves. We want to put ourselves in the best position going forward. We don't want any contact and you can have contact in uh, OTAs if you do choose so. But Brandon Staley making the decision to, you know, take his player leadership, his veterans 
I guess, best choice moving forward and being able to collaborate with them to make that decision, it, it really creates that player-coach relationship and makes that yeah. something kind of special. He said he wants to be a, a player's coach, and that's mm-hmm. the type of decision that he's making. And I, I, I really like that decision-making by Brandon Staley. I think it's great. It's one of my favorite things about Staley so far in his, his early stint as head coach. But when he says something, he's fully behind his words. You know exactly what you're getting from Staley. He's not mixing his words. And he said from the beginning, like you said, he, he's there to create a fostering locker room culture. All the players, all the staff, everyone involved in the team, he wants them on the same page. And I think he kind of summed it up best. He said, if you want a relationship-oriented team, you got to put your money where your mouth is. And he said, hey, guys, what he listened to the players. They said they want competitive practice, but to not to limit injuries. So Staley, the staff, they delivered. I, I think the team is really responding well to this whole regime change. It seems like everyone, for the most part, is buying in. And I think that really shows when you look at those attendance numbers. They are voluntary workouts. And you got guys who aren't even guaranteed a single cent yet that haven't even signed a, a rookie contract. And they're out there sweating grinding with their teammates, trying to get better. And that, I think, is like the championship mentality that we've been missing. It starts from day one. There are no off days. And I think we say it every year as Charger fans, but it kind of feels like this organization is finally going to take that turn from being fringe playoff teams, but to that perennial Super Bowl contenders every year. I think we're very close. And one of the things that I also like about this decision uh, is that he's he's – doing what he's saying he's going to do, right? Yeah. And one of those things that he says that he wants to be is an analytically driven team, right? And if you look at the analytics of, you know, what OTAs are, player health is at the, the forefront of that, right? And him keeping his promises early on, he's only been head coach for, you know, four four months or so, five months, and, you know, he, he's making the right decisions early on that it's going to really propel this team into the season. Well, and I think he knows. I think he's seen all of the injuries that we've suffered before we've even played a meaningful game. So I, I love the mentality. I love that he's listening to his players and he's doing everything that he says he's going to. It's awesome that you have that just object. What is it? Objectiveness? Yeah, I, I call it objectiveness. I love it. Uh, one last thing I want to touch on before we get into quarterbacks and running backs today. We will not be going over receivers this week. We'll be going over receivers next week. But something I saw today on Twitter is the guy whose house burned down. I forget what his Twitter handle is. Uh, he was actually Guerrero at SoFi- Tay, I want to say. Yeah. Uh, he was actually at SoFi Stadium today meeting with Darren James, meeting with um, – uh, the owner, uh, Dean Spanos, and, you know, they really went and took care of him. And it's really awesome that that Jennifer Mills yeah. really, she drove all of this. She brought awareness to to the tragedy that ended up happening. His house ended up burning down and he she ended up raising about $10,000 uh, in funds for him. Uh, I'm sure he got some sort of insurance money being there as well. But I love the fact that our community is taking care of our own. It's truly awesome. amazing that every team has a fan base, but it, it is really a family here. Bolt fam it, it is worth the name because it is a huge family over here. And it's really one of the best parts about being a Chargers fan is the community that we have. I, I love it. I love the fact that we're taking care of our own. And, you know, the team said that they were going to reach out to them and they did. They brought them in. They all pull them out. The full fan. That's so cool. You don't really hear about that. They, they have the money, they have the funds to, so to see a team going like that, to help into a, a family out on the lowest of lows, love to hear stories like that. So moving on, we've got uh, quarterbacks. Number one, he's, he's going to be the leader of this team for a long time. Justin yes. Herbert. He's the reigning rookie offensive, uh, offensive rookie of the year. He owns nearly every single major rookie record. Most career passing touchdowns at 31. Youngest quarterback in history to throw 30 touchdowns in a season. Say it, Tyler. Say it. Most total touchdowns, 36. Most completions, 396. Most 300-yard passing games at 8. Most two uh, touchdown passing games at 10. Most three 
passing touchdown games in a season at six, and he has the second most passing yards in a single season, 36 yards shy of Andrew Luck, and he did it in 15, not 16 games. Pretty amazing. The brisket bandit, he's back. The brisket he's, bandit. He's ripped. <laughs> you like that one? I do. I like the brisket <laughs> bandit. That's That's a new one. I was listening Dude. to Chargers chat, uh, the podcast Chargers chat the other yeah. day, and they said uh, they called them the, what was it, the herbs, and uh, they, they gave them a band name. It was like the herbs and spices, right? And Justin Justin Herbert was definitely the lead singer, but then you got Austin Eckler on the guitar. Oh, yeah, uh, They were talking about Corey Lindsley playing the drums. They were talking about. Michael Badgley playing the triangle. <laughs> nice. Who's, well, we need a cowbell. I got I got Slater right there. I bet he plays a vicious cowbell. He definitely does. Man, I'm excited for Justin Herbert in year two. And I think those records, they're going to continue to keep falling to him early on. So, you know, youngest player to 5,000 yards passing. He, he He can attain that this year. I'm really excited to see how Joe Staley utilizes him. If you look at Joe Staley's track record with Drew Brees, I mean, Drew Brees was a perennial 5,000-yard passer for years with the Saints. It was a guarantee for 5,000 yards. Insane production over there. One of the other things I noticed specifically with that Saints offense, and I was listening to um, the Guiltiest Charge podcast, they – Sheath underwear makes the most comfortable boxer briefs I've ever worn. If you're sick of boxers that are too loose or briefs that are too tight, Sheath is for you. The most comfortable boxer briefs you'll ever put on your body. You see, their stretchy fabric is made out of a moisture-wicking technology. They're super soft, keep everything cool and comfortable, and right in place. Sheath is particularly useful for staying cool while working out. Now, the most unique thing about sheath underwear is that they have these dual pouches that keep your man parts separated, which prevents things from sticking together, keeps them right where they need to be. They'll be the most comfortable pair of boxer briefs you've ever worn in your life. Plus, they have brand new materials like bamboo and mesh for even more cooling comfort. Go to sheathunderwear.com and get the most comfortable underwear you've ever worn. And if you use promo code IHEART, you'll also get 20% off your order. That's sheathunderwear.com. Promo code IHEART for 20% off your order. Sheathunderwear.com. Promo code IHEART. Sheath underwear makes the most comfortable boxer briefs I've ever worn. If you're sick of boxers that are too loose or briefs that are too tight, Sheath is for you. The most comfortable boxer briefs you'll ever put on your body. You see, their stretchy fabric is made out of a moisture-wicking technology. They're super soft, keep everything cool and comfortable, and right in place. Sheath is particularly useful for staying cool while working out. Now, the most unique thing about sheath underwear is that they have these dual pouches that keep your man parts separated, which prevents things from sticking together, keeps them right where they need to be. They'll be the most comfortable pair of boxer briefs you've ever worn in your life. Plus, they have brand new materials like bamboo and mesh for even more cooling comfort. Go to sheathunderwear.com and get the most comfortable underwear you've ever worn. And if you use promo code IHEART, you'll also get 20% off your order. That's sheathunderwear.com. Promo code IHEART for 20% off your order. Sheathunderwear.com. Promo code IHEART. Arjun Moonen. Arjun Moonen, he's he's that analytical guy Mm -hmm. uh, that we've had a chance to talk to a couple times. If you look at what the Chargers did well last year, and they, they did very well at throwing behind the line of scrimmage, lots of screens, lots of bubble screens, you know, Justin Herbert led the league in the most passes behind the line of scrimmage. And if you look at what Drew Brees has done, especially in 2017, 2018, Alvin Kamara, he was a beast in that role. You look at Michael Thomas, very, very similar to Keenan Allen. This offense is really already built for that style of offense. When you have Jared Jared Cook, who was very familiar very familiar was that guy he was he, that guy exactly and then you take into effect that Justin Herbert is a different player than Drew Brees was he's a lot more mobile mm-hmm. but there's a lot of similarities between the Saints offense last year the last couple years and what Justin Herbert was actually really good at last season 
And I don't see a reason why Justin Herbert can't be a 5,000-yard, 50-touchdown type of player next season. Mm -hmm. It's a little... I don't want to get ahead of myself and already start putting those types of expectations on Justin Herbert, but the talent is there. The playmakers are there. We have Justin Jackson and Austin Eckler who really excelled in the screen game last season, the last couple seasons. You got Keenan Allen who's really excelled in the that run after catch type of role. Uh, but then you have something else that the Saints also third had. down. Can we tell can we go back? He's also a beast at third down. He's a Let's beast at third down, there. moving the chains. That's what he's really good at. And this this Chargers offense really has those pieces. But what they this Chargers offense has that that Saints haven't really had is a deep threat, which Josh Palmer and of course Mike Williams really excel at. Then you have Jalen Guyton and Tyrone Johnson who really excelled at getting behind the defense. There's going to be some wrinkles of that Saints offense, mm-hmm. but with also more ability to take shots deep. So I think there's a really good possibility that we have an MVP caliber season out of Justin Herbert. I really hope so. I really hope so. But it will be really interesting to see, you know, what kind of things we keep that work from last season, what kind of the new wrinkles we will see and how Herbert will maintain that consistency with all of this change, you know, surrounding him. New OC, new coach, you got a new backup. Um, there's some new pass catchers in that offense, possibly a new running back making his way into that committee. So the change surrounding Herbert, how is that going to affect his performance? I think he has that personality where he doesn't really listen. Let the outside noise bother him. Well, let's but there go is back a lot of change. Oregon. Let's go back to Oregon. How many different offensive coordinators did Justin Herbert have while he was at Oregon? He's never had consistency mm. in a coaching staff ever his entire college career. He went from Mario Cristobal uh, before Mario Cristobal. Like every single year, you, he had something new, especially in a style of offense. And he's been able to hit the ground running every single season. He's now going to have some sort of consistency, which should really boost his production going forward sure because that can only help him and if he's been able to produce in the way that he has i mean the ceiling is the sky right really yeah you're right and i mean you've seen these pictures coming out of camp the dude is ripping out of his shirt he's huge dude you got the print hitting the gym that the prince charming flow is back looking better than ever so yeah the best rookie quarterback is only getting better I don't he know. He reminds me of like Prince Charming from Shrek, dude. Like yeah. with the hair blowing and and all of know, that. I'm on a horse. <laughs> yeah, he's a big landscape deal. commercial. He needs to get a, on on a uh, a Old Spice. I'm on a horse commercial. That's <laughs> what I want to see, dude. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit more about Herbert and his production last season, right? So he was, according to PFF, the worst hated quarterback by PFF for whatever reason. He had a 79.9 offensive grade, which ranked 18th. He had a 78.4 passing grade, which ranked 14th. And he had a 98.3 passer rating, which isn't a PFF stat, but that ranked 12th among all 32 quarterbacks. But why was Herbert's rating so low? I have to believe that the win-loss column really does affect the quarterback's grades, right? Because In no other sport does a single player have as much control over the win-loss record of a team. Now, you can say that, you know, the coaching staff this and the injuries that, but ultimately, is the quarterback good enough to overcome those issues? In some ways, Justin Herbert was. He carried the team really to where it got to, and he was sabotaged a little bit, right? But at the same time, that could be a really big reason why Herbert's grades were as low as they were, in my opinion. Now, if you look at the quarterbacks that had, you know, those higher ratings, you got Aaron Rodgers, Sean Watson, which is a little bit of a unicorn because that team was terrible. But Brady, Mahomes, Josh Allen, all those guys had good winning records. The one weird one being Deshaun Watson, right? But I don't know. I I think 
next season going forward, he's only going to get better. He's only going to get better. It's only, yeah. Things have only got better for him. And he did all of those, set all of those records behind a patchwork offensive line. And we'll get into a later episode about all of the transition up front. But just the change up front, the change in philosophy from the coaches staff, all of that is good news for Herbert. And you said it. He doesn't mind changing. He does it well. He's very adaptable. Um, and I can't wait to see number 10 out there balling out. I'm, I'm excited for it, man. I am here for it. There's one last thing I want to bring up before we get off of Herbert is I was actually doing a lot of research on his uh, statistics for my magazine, which you'll start hearing about here more and more as, as we get closer to that. But Justin Herbert was actually through a catchable ball on 80% of his total passes. That really shows his accuracy. This was a PFF stat, by the way. And 80% of his throws was a catchable ball. That is, that's really good production if you think about it, right? And he had one of the lower turnover-worthy plays of all players in the NFL last season, uh, all quarterbacks in the NFL last season. So, you know, the sky's the limit for Justin Herbert. I'm really excited to see what he's able to do with a new style of offense, with some new weapons around him, and most importantly, with some protection. Yeah, all keys. And I I think that dude has to be right in so high on confidence because you couldn't have put together a better rookie year. You couldn't. He would own every record and have some space between him had he played an extra game, just one extra game. Moving on to quarterback two, Chase Daniel. What are your thoughts on the hiring, not nah, the signing of Chase Daniel? I was I was a fan of it. Um, I, I like bringing Daniel for what we need. I, and it, it bums me out because I really love Tyrod Taylor, you know, the person, the leader, the locker room personality. And we've talked about it before. We really were rooting for him to do well in Los Angeles. Um, but I, I really think watching him run around week one, you could kind of tell his the years in the league are starting to catch up to him. He's really not the same player he was. Um, and I, I just think Daniel's the better fit for what we we want. We need a guy who can mentor and help Herbert develop into the superstar. You know, we all think we he can be. And I don't think St- Taylor would be bad at that. But Daniel's been a backup basically his whole career. Taylor's been like that fringe starter. So I think the perspective coming from Daniel is, is a little better fit for our team in our situation right now. You know, there's value in a veteran backup quarterback. Sure. There's a lot of value. If you look Going back to Phillip Rivers, he had Charlie Whitehurst there for That's a while. Right. And then he had Kellen Clemens. And, you know, I, I remember, I think it was uh, an interview with Nick Hardwick where they were actually talking. Uh, it was an interview with Sean Merriman on the Nick Hardwick podcast. And he was talking about the value that Kellen Clemens brought to Phillip Rivers, you know, on the sidelines in between drives. And, you know, helping them figure out what coverages are, are, are being thrown at them, you know, different uh, blitz packages, things of that nature. Having a veteran back up your star quarterback, especially one as young as Justin Herbert, mm-hmm. there's a ton of value in that. Sure. A lot and of people I- are like, oh, you know, Easton Stick season. Easton Stick is a going to be a three-year vet now, but he's never had the playing experience and he doesn't have that, you know – as I was saying, that that long tooth, you know, to be able to, you know, help Justin Herbert understand disguises and coverages and, you know, those different blitz packages and different personnel. And the other thing with Chase Daniel is he's familiar with Joe, Joe Lombardi. Yeah. Th- that's the thing. I think people kind of look, you know, the, the backup quarterback, they don't might, they might not see the field, but compared to other backups, ba- the backup quarterback is really an integral part of any team. He's they, a coach. They, help, they are a coach. They are a player coach. They help with the play call. They are so important. So yeah, I really, I really like Daniel because he's not a super talented guy, right? He's not in the league. He hasn't been in the league for 11 seasons because he's the gre- greatest thrower we've ever seen. He hasn't appeared in 69 career games because he's an amazing athlete. But for him to 
be the talent he is for him to put in all of that work and to have that career, I think is a testament to his work ethic. And that I think will be huge to in the back of Herbert's mind. So one of the other things I was looking at when it came to Chase Daniel is the fact that he does have familiarity with Joe Lombardi. If you look at the offense that the Saints have run over the course of the last decade, it's a lot of different formations, a lot of different packages. They're, they would, in, in a single drive, come out in a different package every single play. And that's something that is going to take some time for Justin Herbert to learn. He's a smart guy, you know, biology major, 4.0, all of that stuff. But the memory aids and the things that that Chase Daniel is going to be able to bring to help him, you know, catch on to that a little bit quicker, there's a ton of value in that. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be really vital for his development, right? You don't want Easton stick backing up Justin Herbert when he's, he doesn't know those things. He'd have to learn those things himself. Chase Daniels been in that system before he spent four years with the saints in total, you know, and then even, even more than that, he's, he's got familiarity with Brandon Staley from his time with the bears. He's got familiarity with the, um, the, passing game or running game coordinator. What's his name that we just signed from the bears. There's familiarity with the coaching staff and chase Daniel. And that's my point. And that's, that's something that's going to be very crucial to Justin Herbert's development. It just takes pressure off the quarterback in his development. Yeah. And in, in these, those adjustments series to series, that's all going to be Daniel in his ear being like, Hey, what did you see on that? What did you see on this? And that is going to be huge. So getting into Easton Stick, what are your thoughts on Easton Stick in year three? Man, Stick is a guy I think was really hurt by last year, not having the full training camp and not having the preseason. Because in 2019, when we drafted him, I thought he was one of our stars of the preseason. I thought he did really well. He He showed some really some promise athletically rattling off some huge runs. And I think at that time, just seeing an athlete at quarterback was super just refreshing because we had old man rivers back there for so long. So just to see a guy like who could run, that was, that was exciting, but you know, and then after that, there was all this talk about, Oh, maybe we should develop stick into the next Taysom Hill. And whether whether or not you want like a third string quarterback that costs ten million dollars a year, that's a whole different question. But the the hype around Stick was there, and I think that's kind of evaporated with him not having last training camp. We haven't really seen him in a long time. I really don't know what we're we going to have a play him. last season where <laughs> he had, he, he's a he's a hundred he's one for one. He's a hundred percent completion rating. So I guess there's that. But I thought he was a guy that we could eventually develop into a starter. Right now, I think he's the QB three kind of even practice squad material. I, I think that's I re- where I believe his biggest value comes in, right? So if you look at the scout team, right, there's yeah. value in and valuable scout team players, and Easton Stick is going to be able to fill that role to be able to mimic players like Patrick Mahomes, like Lamar sure. Jackson, like Dak Prescott, Cam Newton, Joe Burrow, Deshaun Watson. These athletic players who are able to get out and move outside the pocket. Yeah. That's what made Tyra Taylor a valuable asset last year behind Justin Herbert. You got to be able to mimic those players, right? Mm-hmm. It's really easy to keep a guy in the pocket when it's, you know, Phillip Rivers. It's yeah. a lot harder to do so, especially as NFL offenses are changing to have more athletic runners with, you know, the ability to pass the ball outside of the pocket. Mm-hmm. So Easton Stick is going to be able to mimic that in practice in a way that Chase Daniel definitely isn't going to be able to do that. Is he going to stick around? I think without a big preseason, he's not going to be back next year. I think he's going to be back, and and there's one primary reason why. So a third quarterback on your game day roster does not account against the cap, which I actually learned just today. So having him available, he, he may make the 53-man roster just so they can hold on to him. Uh, but the likelihood that he is at least on the practice squad and is available on game days is very likely. I don't see very many teams without three quarterbacks on their roster at all times, whether it be the 53-man roster or the practice squad flipping back and forth. 
the fact is he doesn't count against the 46-man limit, I think it is, 46 or 48. I think it's 46. So I think there is a definite possibility he's brought back for another year at the very least, maybe two. Uh, but they don't have a third quarterback on or a fourth quarterback on the roster. So it makes a lot of sense that Easton Stick is at least there for those reasons as a scout team player. And will he actually develop? I, I guess we still have two years to find out. But now, and you don't think like an, another uh, another QB needy team would be willing to take another couple years on developing him, uh, you know, giving him a shot as a legitimate backup. I think all these other teams have their own th- third quarterback anyway. So I don't think it really matters as much. A lot of them want to draft and develop their own players in their own system so that they can, you know, learn the, the weaknesses, learn the style of offense, right? Taking a brand new quarterback. Who's not a veteran like Chase Daniel, right? Who's not somebody who's been around the league for five, six, seven years is a totally different scenario than, you know, taking a third year player that you know nothing about the past two years, mm. right? Nobody knows anything about Easton Stick outside of North Dakota, right? Well, so, and that was pretty good I, production there. And I think he's, I think he's safe. I think he's safe because I don't see another team giving him a spot on the 53 man roster when they've got a, you know, a, a Jacob Easton on the roster. Right. But then do you see, but you do see us giving him another shot next year even if we don't see anything from this year i think he's a low risk yeah it's low right and you know if they really want to replace him next season they're going to draft somebody in the you know fifth sixth seventh round to go and do that well and stick was what a fifth round pick he was a fifth round pick and they know what they have in them and they're going to continue to develop them at least another season just to see where where it's at the coaching staff will make the decision shane day will go yay or nay, and he's either going to, you know, keep him around for the last season, and it ultimately it'll be the replacement for Chase Daniel, or Chase Daniel will stay another season, and they'll draft, you know, somebody in the fourth, fifth, sixth round next season if they choose to go that route. But he's got really athletic tools, and, you know, we just gonna, we don't know what his mental is, in the quarterback room, in the film room. And ultimately that's where it's going to come down to, in my opinion, is going to be the film room. How is he learning the style of offense, a completely brand new style of offense. Mm -hmm. And that's ultimately what it's going to come down to. Now, will he have a Taysom Hill role? No, absolutely not. No, (laughs) absolutely not. Taysom Hill is a different kind of animal. He doesn't have the size. He's very athletic. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But I'm going to put a running back in the Taysom Hill role. If there's going to be a, a, a role for that, you know, he's yeah. got four, six, eight speed while Taysom Hill's like a four, three, you know, four or something like that. It's, he's a totally different player. No, nah, it's so comparing like a wildcat to a cub, a house, a house kitty. <laughs> it's a line compared to a kitty cat. Basically right. is what you're saying. So yeah. let's get all you Easton truth, Easton stick truthers out. It's not going to happen. If there's something to develop, we'll find out ultimately next season. If he sees the, the field this season, that is worst case scenario. I think, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. If you, if you, for all the stick fans, I think you got four weeks during preseason um, for him to ball out. I think that's going to be your time or getting into training camp. Watch him when we're scouting for the Ravens. He'll probably have a big week in practice. Yeah, I agree. All right, so running backs, we've got four to talk about today. Uh, And then we should probably talk about Gabe Neighbors because I totally forgot about that. But Austin Eckler is likely going to be the lead back in Los Angeles next season. Uh, I don't know what the carry ratio is going to be like because I think we have four legitimate players who could take snaps, uh, Mm -hmm. significant snaps next season. But I totally see him at least taking the top half of those carries for sure. You have to. He's one of the most dynamic playmakers we have. Um, And he's just one of my favorite football players to watch when the ball's in his hand. He's like a human pinball. He bounces off contact. He runs through arm tackles. He's a very hard individual to take to the ground. My favorite thing about him is just balance. He stays yeah. on his feet. He finds a way to stay on his feet. And 
honestly, he doesn't take hits. He has no. a, this weird ability to just wiggle in between hits and be able to fall forward for extra yards. He's not running people over. He's hit getting contact and either bouncing off or he's able to get, you know, on the side of a, a tackler. He's able to sidestep players so that he's falling forward, which is why he averaged 4.6 yards per carry as a 5'8", 200-pound back. Very, very strong individual. How he's built that compact, it really doesn't make any sense to me. But when you're playing Austin Eckler, you need to rally to the football because, like you said, he's not going down on first contact very often, if at all. Out of the backfield, the dude is an absolute elite receiver. And I don't understand why. I think he's kind of slept on around the league. I think he's a legit top 10 back, very close into breaking in that top five can tension but i feel like the casual fan doesn't really put him on the same level as the alvin Kamara's or the mccaffrey's of the league but in my opinion he's right there in that conversation in a huge year from solidifying himself in the top five that's actually a good segue into my thoughts so you're you're talking about different running back tiers right and you know you think he's kind of like that fringe one two tiers is where you Mm -hmm. put him yeah so just let's just get into this right I'm going to give you a player and you're going to say up or down, high or low. I don't know how you want to say it, right? So we'll go with number one, Christian McCaffrey. Up. Above Christian McCaffrey? Oh, so so am I – so I thought I'm just getting a list. So okay. That's so my one guy. Let's get into this. You can either take the player that I say or you can take Austin Eckler, right? Okay. And t- try to take your bias out. Just go straight off production – skill level, who would you rather have on your team? Christian McCaffrey, Austin Eckler. I'm going McCaffrey. Alvin McCar- uh, Alvin Kamara. I'm going Eckler. Dalvin Cook. Eckler. Saquon Barkley. Saquon. King Henry. Henry. Nick Chubb. That's tough. That's tough. That's a tough one. My bias is saying Eckler. My non-bias is saying Chubb. So I'm going to just have to draw on that one. That's a draw because I, I want to say Chubb, but my – I don't know. Two different I mean, style think, of runners. Two it, different style of runners. That's very, hard. very hard. Um, Zeke. Eckler. Aaron Jones. Eckler. I like Aaron Jones, but I like it. I, I like Aaron Jones, but I think Eckler's a little more dynamic. Jonathan Taylor. Eckler. My last one. Najee Harris. Eckler. Really? Mm-hmm. Interesting. So you're taking Eckler over the top 10 backs, in my opinion. And I don't necessarily agree with you quite as much. So I put Eckler in, in really the tier two of running backs not tier one. And all those players I gave you are players that today I would take over Austin Eckler. And it's mostly because their level of production is just greater than that of, of Austin Eckler. And I think that they are more complete backs. They've got more size, most of them anyways. And, you know, you look at Chris McCaffrey, he is truly, truly dynamic, right? You look at Kamara and cook those guys, Kamara is a very similar back, but, you know, I'm really interested to see if you compare, if you put Austin Eckler on the Saints last season, does he have the same exact production or not? And that's really confusing for me. But then I look at Cook, Barkley, Henry, Chubb, Aaron Jones. I think I would take Aaron Jones over Eckler. Uh, Jonathan Taylor, he's a younger player, and I, I would honestly take Najee Harris. I'd put Austin Eckler in that tier two with Miles Sanders, with Josh Jacobs, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Chris Carson, James Robinson, Kareem Hunt, and Joe Mixon. i put him in that second tier, and I, I just don't think he's – I think he's a very, very talented player, and he's very, very good and productive, but I just – I can't put him in that stage one because – He's never had a thousand yard season on the ground. No, you know, and we is he capable of it with a full season? Possibly, but I just haven't seen it yet. Sure. Well, and it's it's hard to that list is hard because those are ten running backs. Eckler is kind of 
Those are all be, three down backs. And Eckler those are is, three down backs. That is not what Eckler is. Eckler is, yeah. He's the best gadget player in the NFL. There you go. But that even seems not like enough praise for him because he seems more than that to me. I agree, and I guess to really find out, we need to see him be RB1 for a full season. We need an RB1 from him because right now he is the best RB2 in the game. For and, sure. And a legit top 10, a legit, a legit top 15 RB1. I guess part of the issue I'm having is we got him for 10 games last season. The back half of those 10 games he was you know, injured. Was he at 100%? Probably not. Did he have that full RB1 role? He was never given that opportunity. No. And I guess some of it is really the issue that Anthony Lynn, who is a run-first, run-heavy style of of coach, of scheme, and he didn't give Austin Eckler that role. He tried to do early on, and Eckler was very productive, you know, against uh, teams – where the offensive line wasn't able to, you know, hang and and that might be part of the issue with his production, but he just he didn't look he looked like a very good running back but not a NFL star at that position. Well, yeah, he's in a fringe year. Is he an RB1, legitimate RB1 in this year or is he kind of like that gadget kind of role player where I guess we're going to find out. And I'm I'm excited to find out. Yeah, well, and out of all those guys you mentioned, I'm taking Eckler's air guitar celebration. So I'm rolling with 30 all day on just the air guitar by itself. So what are your thoughts on Justin Jackson? I think he is in a bit of a prove-it year. Um, well, he definitely is. He's in a contract year for sure. So he is definitely to have something well, to prove. Prove, and it's about time for the dude to stay healthy. Um. He, this is fourth season. He's been in only 16 games the last two years. All of those injuries. And very, he doesn't have funny. the carries to be able to say I'm beat up. That's no. what bothers me the most. If you look at his rookie season, you know, he's he's always been injured, but he's never even been in the games. To, he mm-hmm. hasn't gotten 100 carries in a season. And that's very low production. Players are getting that in five games. Yeah, he's always injured and he's he's not even playing. He's not there. I really want to see a lot from him because looking at his numbers to see his career average yards per carry at four point nine. I thought I was like, there's no way. Then you look at it. He just doesn't run the football very often. So they don't. The the four point nine is very promising. Does that hold up with more more increased carries? I don't know, but I really think he needs to maintain that 4.9 if he wants to be back on L.A. next year. If not, improve on it. If he wants to get paid any sort, and he's not going to get paid because he's a running back. Running backs an injured, don't get paid. An in, a running back with injury concerns. So he's not going to get paid. But he has been the most productive running back on the offense in terms of just stats, right? Yes. At, when he's in, he's very productive. The issue is his frame is very slight. He's a small guy. He's 5'11", 200 pounds. If you compare him to Austin Eckler, he's three inches shorter in the same weight. But he does look small. You don't. Eckler looks short, but he doesn't look small. Jackson no. looks small out there running between he's, the tackles. And, and you would think for a player who looks small, he'd be a burner. And Jackson does not have that speed at Mm-mm. all. He's got a little bit of power, like surprising power, like... Guys go to tackle him. They're like, oh, whoa, I wasn't expecting that. He's got the nastiest dead, dead leg. Like his his ability to sidestep players is really impressive. Uh, but he just doesn't have the the frame to really take the, the punishment of an NFL season. He can never be an RB1. He can be a no. very productive RB2. I'm really thinking that being in a contract year he's got something to prove he's probably going to play it a little more through injuries because a lot of his injuries they seem to be soft tissue injuries he's not carrying his acl he's yeah. not breaking bones he's he's having soft tissue injuries and he he's gonna have to play through that this year so that he can either be brought back to la or give him some sort of market and free agency because yeah. right now i don't see any team taking any type of 
risk with him that's going to be significant enough where he's not going to be signing a veteran minimum contract. I'm right there with you. I think he had, that's the thing when healthy, I think he has the talent now with this new coaching staff, no contact in the OTAs. Hopefully that all translates to healthy Jackson during the regular season. We need, well, just need to see him put it all together. We'll see. And you know, I wouldn't be surprised. This coaching staff is like, yo, you need to put on a little bit of weight. Sure. We need you to bulk up a little bit because you, you you need it. He needs it. He needs it. Well, and it's not. Yeah, you're not jeopardizing any speed at this point. Uh, pack on some pack on some pounds and let's. Yeah, let I'd like to see him like ten pounds heavier, but keep his short area quickness, which is mm-hmm. his. That's, that's his best asset. For that's sure. his draw, right? Short area quickness, sidestepping defenders. And, you know, I think a little bit of weight on him would do him some good. And, I, you know, he's very good out of the backfield, catching passes out of the backfield. He's very good in the screen game. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got really good vision. He just he just needs to stay healthy. That's his issue. Now, my next question is, who's going to be RB3? Is it going to be Larry Roundtree or is it going to be Joshua Kelly? To me... I like Kelly. I think he kind of has the track record there. I really think he's entering rookie year two. Um, you know, he was back very it, impressive the first like three games of the season. Well, I didn't even realize it that he had scored our first touchdown of the season he because did. after week three or four. So and then came in. I, I don't remember when the fumbles happened, but early on he fumbled back to back games. And that kind of essentially erased him from the game plan. It set all confidence from him the rest of the season. And he was, I was seeing him catch passes out of backfield. I mean, you're talking about his hands, like just gripping them out of the air. Like he was very impressive. That first game when he ran over Jermaine Pratt, like Mm -hmm. three times, like he was running over running backs. He was running heavy into the, the gaps and he was just trucking people. That first game, he made it a, Three hits that I was like, ooh. Well, and people around the league were stoked. He was like number one waiver wire pickup from week one to week two. And like I picked fantasy. him up myself. Man. Everyone loved him. Um, and there was a lot to like early on. It he was getting carries. He was looking like he was going to be a huge part of that offense. And then fumble, fumble, erase from the game plan on the last. Just drown out. I don't know how it just drowned out so quickly. I think some of it is that the offensive line did play well those first two games. And then those mm. those running lanes, they really just went away. And then the other thing that I think that hurt him is Kalen Balaj really just took over. And the, it was the same exact style of player with a little more weight. You didn't have that, you know, change of pace back, right? Because mm-hmm. Justin Jackson was out. Austin Eckler got hurt. And then you were really relying on between the tackle runs with Kalen Balaj. And then yeah. what Joshua Kelly really excelled at is the same style of running and you, you didn't have the threat elsewhere, right? It, it didn't no. throw any teams off teams really just stacked the a gaps, the B gaps really kept things in between the tackles. And I think it hurt Kelly's production a little bit. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's kind of like in baseball, like just to be able to have that change up to keep people off balance. If you're just gassing them, I don't care if you're throwing 105 miles per hour. If you're throwing 105 right over the middle of the plate, big leaguer is going to catch up to that. And that's like the NFL defenses. We didn't have an a off. We didn't have a change up. We didn't have a breaking ball to throw at him. Um, and I'm just looking at it. He logged nine snaps in our last five games, healthy scratch twice. So that just kind of shows to me the coaching staff gave up on him for whatever reason. They didn't really believe in him, and I would want to see. I want to see a full year in him. I'm you have this nothing to lose in those last couple of games. You're already out of the playoffs. Now De- it's all about developing your talent. Develop, it's, and then me, you know, it's not like you're going to bring back Kalen Balage. Even if this coaching staff no. would have been rehired, there would have been no reason to bring back Kalen Balage at all. It, it was a dev, you know, last minute attempt to save face. In my opinion, it didn't work. It affected i think our long-term potential um because those were very very crucial minutes like you said they didn't mean anything to the team at that point we weren't going to the playoffs what do you do let's get better for next season i would have loved to see kelly get some snaps towards the end of the stretch or down the stretch last season and i'm not talking about pulling jalen hurts for nate sudfield at the end there i'm talking about giving 
players who have shown production valuable snaps, especially when he has shown to be productive. He he yeah. had a really strong start to the season, really really so. strong, and it just it didn't make sense. I would have rather have just cut Kalen Balaj outright and just run with what your your three running backs are supposed to be at the beginning of the season. Yeah. It, it, it was make sense. No, it was a safe face move. They were trying to win some games. There was a chance for them to kind of squeak into the playoffs. And I think for them, Balaj was the guy to do it. We had injury concerns. We had young guys. They're banged up all year. So yeah, it, it hurt us in the long run. It's hurt Kelly development, but I think we're, I think this staff will give him all of the opportunities to establish himself this year as the running back three. Which leads into Larry Roundtree, which I talked about him last week. I'm high on Larry Roundtree. I think he's a very similar runner, not quite as athletic as Joshua Kelly, but does a lot of the same things well. The only Mm -hmm. difference is he's got that in-between-the-tackles ability, but has the ability to sidestep where Kelly is just going to hit you and just go straight through you. So I think he also will be a change of pace back. I think there's going to be some issues, injuries to the running back room. There is every year to every single team in the NFL. So I think Roundtree is going to probably get, you know, 20, 30, maybe 40 carries, uh, depending on the packages, depending on, you know, who's out this week, who's out next week. He's going to play. Yeah, he will. He's definitely going to catch some snaps. Uh, it'll be interesting just to see how much. Yeah. Uh, my biggest thing, I'm a little worried about Roundtree and – because my, my thing, I think his biggest weakness is his vision and his like inability to allow blocks to develop in front of him. And those are two areas that young running backs kind of just struggle with anyway. Even if they are great at it at, at, a, at a collegiate level, making that next step, being able to see NFL fields, reading NFL defenses, it, it's tough on any young back. So the fact that he kind of struggled with that in college is a little scary to me. I don't think he's a great pass catcher. I want to I, be very- I saw some ability for him out of the so, catching passes. I also saw some vision, but again, he, he's a developmental piece. He's not going to get a bunch of carries next season. He's, no. he's a developmental guy, but he's got some traits uh, in terms of just not athletic ability, but the ability to like hit the hole. And when he hits it, he hits it fast. He gets from like, okay, let's be real. He gets like zero to 40, right? So he's because he's not getting there very fast, but he gets there quick, right? He's not a fast, he's not a burner. He, I think he ran no. a four seven, but he hits four seven like that, and he's explosive when he does it. So I don't know. I think there's traits there to develop. You're not gonna, you know, you're not gonna coach speed. He's not gonna get much faster, but he's gonna get some carries. He's yeah. definitely gonna get some carries. But yeah, my my thing is, I think he's very very similar to Kelly, like you said. Because Kelly had that half a season, we'll call it half a season, kind of head start. That's the only really reason that I'm giving him the nod. I think they're very, very similar players. And with Eck and JJ at the top of that depth chart, I think it's obvious we are going to accept a running back by committee approach. And whoever emerges, whether it be Kelly, Roundtree, I don't really matter. But one of them is going to need to step up because... We, we don't have the bell cow. We don't have the third bound back on, on the roster. No, and, you know, he's the closest thing to that goal line back that you're going to get. Um, not Roundtree. Kelly's going to be the goal line back. He's going to be the guy picking up the heavy yards. Uh, and then, you know, Roundtree, you know, it, he's going to be an injury player only. Like, he's he'll get those snaps, you know, if Kelly goes down for a week or if Jackson goes down for a week. Eckler's not going down for a single week next season. I'm calling that now. I – Let's go. Fingers crossed. (laughs) Gabe Neighbors. I'm looking forward to development by Gabe Neighbors because as an H-back, not a true fullback, uh, but as an H-back, as a a guy that can even play tight end, I'd really like to see him play tight end. He's a really good receiver type of player, and that's something I really liked out of of him when he came out of Florida State. he needs to get better as a blocker. He needs to get stronger. And his, he he was probably one of the biggest liabilities on special teams last yeah. season. But, I mean, he's he's hanging out with Justin Herbert every day. You know, that's got to rub off his work ethic. If it's anything near what Justin Herbert's is, and I'm assuming they're working out together. Yeah, You know, you might see a, a big development from season one to two. 
I don't know how well he's going to be utilized, but we didn't bring in another fullback into camp. The other possibility I see, uh, possibility, don't know if it's likely, but I think it's a possibility is if he doesn't make the team, Trey McKitty is going to take his spot. Well, and that's the thing. I don't really think Neighbors is going to play very many offensive snaps this year. I don't think he's a great blocker. I, I think, can't think of the Saints running very many fullbacks out there. I want to see that they did, though. I want um, to see that they did go into some ice and pro style. Uh, but what about was, like any two back, like some two back sets, maybe? I'm trying. Yeah, to there's I'm, probably going to be a lot more two back sets. If you look at the, there's no shortage of wide receivers in in on this team right now. So I see a lot of four wide sets, five wide sets. I could even see a lot of like five wide receiver sets as a possibility. I don't I don't fully know, but Gabe Neighbors, I mean, if he's not able to hack it on special teams and and they'll replace them. They'll throw him onto the practice squad. For sure. He needs to get better. I like his energy. I, I like his athleticism as, you know, that utility back that is growing in today's NFL. He's not Kyle yeah. Juszczyk, Chet, though. He's no. not that player. No, but not, he even, is... not even like the Derek Watt. I think a Derek Watt's even a little bit a step ahead of neighbors right now. In terms of blocking ability, for sure. In terms of special teams ability, for sure. But not as like that utility back, right? I think, I think of him as a really poor man's Kyle Juszczyk. Because he's he's got that same athleticism, catch passes out of the backfield. He scored two touchdowns last season. I really like him almost better as a tight end than I do as a fullback. He's a smaller tight end, but you know, ultimately he's a, he's an H back. Uh, he's got a lot of development to do if he's going to make the roster next season, though. Yeah, a lot of development because I could see Trey McKitty take that role way uh, better. He's built for it. It's a dying kind of position that we don't really have the fullback. It is the H-back kind of tight end hybrid. So, yeah, I'm with you. He needs a huge year. He plays a position that was not very valued. And I don't no, really... and to be honest, let's get into this a little bit, is Tom Telesco is already talking about Larry Roundtree playing that personal protector role that is meant for the fullback. He's already yeah. he's already talked about it. So it's already on his mind. We already know Tom Telesco's got in his brain that he might have to replace Gabe Neighbors. Well, let's and- bring back Bobby Holly. I'm all for it. Bobby Holly, bring him back into camp because that dude was a blocking nightmare. He destroyed players. I Gabe. yeah, a big opposing imposing presence like that would be huge to open up holes for our smaller running backs. Could you imagine a guy like that? Or a Eckler Tommy would, Tremble playing fullback? Oh, my God. that would Eckler be and JJ would be lost all day. It would They'd be 20 yards down the field before the linebackers even see him. Ah, uh, dude. I don't know. I I think that we're going to see a lot of development from him. I think he's – I want to. I want him to be bigger. I want him to be stronger. I want him to pack on another 10, 15 pounds – keep his athleticism because that's his real weapon. But I just, I don't know his fit in a Joe Lombardi. I don't know. I don't know where it's at. I haven't done enough research on fullbacks inside the saints offense. I know that they did have one, um, but he he's got to take a big leap forward or there's no point in bringing him back. I don't care how good of friends he is with Justin Herbert. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, no, we need to have a way better running game last year. I don't understand how our run game was so awful last year, but we still finished with a top 10 offense. I think that all goes back to Herbert being amazing last year. He really dug us out of some holes last season. But if we want to get the most out of them in the second season, we need to develop a consistent run game. All of those guys we talked about are going to be super important in establishing that run. Well, Herbert had some help from some wide receivers, which we will talk about next week. Uh, we did have some really eye-opening players come through and make some plays that are going to be on this roster next season that are worth talking about. So let's get into it next week. We'll do wide receivers next week. I think wide receivers and tight ends, we'll get more into it. And uh, any closing remarks, Zach? No, no. Um Give me a prediction for Justin Herbert's stats next season. 
Let's close it off with that. Okay. Well, I think number wise, they're going to be slightly, I think they're going to be kind of on par Um, about the same that he did his rookie season. The reason I say that is because I think our running game is going to be just as effective as our passing game. We're going to have top 10 in both. I think Herbert's production because of the increased running game this season is going to kind of just stay the same. I think he's going to take, I think he's going to take some steps in his rating because I think because of the established run game, we're going to win some more games and it's going to take effect that way. I don't see, I don't see him throwing for 5,000 yards this year. I don't see him throwing for 50 touchdowns this year because I don't think we need that. I think there's enough talent around him and I really want to get our running backs going. I'm going to go the opposite direction. He's going to have 5,100 yards. He's going to have 48 touchdowns. Sophomore season. Let's go. You're going to have Mike Williams go for over 1,000 yards. You're going to have Keenan Allen go for 1,100 yards. You're not going to get much production from Jared Cook. He's going to fall down the the ladder a little bit. His age is going to start to show. But you're (laughs) going to have a lot more production out of the wide receiver group. We're going to throw more because I think analytically it's a better – it's a better way to get wins. And you know what? Austin Eckler is one of the best pass catching backs out of the backfield. Justin Jackson also excels at that. Joshua Kelly showed the ability to do that. You're going to see a lot of screens, a lot of short to intermediate passing. You're going to see a lot of run after catch and you're going to see Tyrone. What about a tight end screen? Can we throw a tight end screen in there? Get the big boys some room. Get some big boys, some blockers. We might and, get it. We might yeah. get it, but I'm going to call it now. I think Justin Herbert's going to have an MVP season. It's the new trend. Sophomore quarterbacks going for 5,000 yards, winning MVP. He's going he's gonna to have a breakout year. I'm calling that now. Put it, put it on the books. Let's go. All right. I'm with you then. I'm changing my prediction. I'm back with you. 5,100 yards. Here we go. <laughs>